Thomas. I enjoyed that. I'm glad you went ahead and did that. He was trying to get out of it. <laughs> and I told him that I wanted to hear him sing since I know he's going to be out of town. And I thought they did a good job. I appreciate it. He won't know if we would plug something in tonight. So would raise the screen up just a little bit for me, if you would, please, so I can see. Okay, thank you. I, this is really modern acting right This just got one of these fancy things on my head. And uh, this, this church is really upgrade, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, if you have some music you want us to do, we'll be glad to try to do it during the week. We don't have any kind of agenda, and normally we don't even, a lot of times, don't even sing. We used to do a lot of it, but we don't much anymore. But uh, we'll do an old gospel song, too, since they kind of got us in the mood for that. You know, I, I really, as I shared this morning, I really don't understand a lot of stuff, and I can't explain a lot of stuff. But I do trust in the Lord, and uh, I know that someday the Bible says we will understand it, we'll know. Right now we see, through a, well, Paul said, a glass darkly, or it's kind of like we see a reflection. You know, when you look in a mirror, you see something, but it's not really you. You know, that's just a reflection of who you are. And even that is a mystery, isn't it, when you think about the fact that you're looking at something, seeing something, it's really not there, but there's that image. It's just... Uh, there's so many simple things I just really don't understand. But this old song says that one day we'll understand it. And you also feel free to uh, sing along uh, with us if you know this song. Let me uh, put this in my pocket because that little thing, it's a bat when I sit down, it knocks it off. <laughs> All right. Trials dark on every hand and we cannot understand. All the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die. We will understand it better by and by. By and by when the morning comes. Of God are gathered home, we will tell the story how we've overcome. We will understand it better by and by. All our cherished plans have failed, and disappointments have prevailed, and we've wandered in the darkness heavy-hearted and alone but we're trusting in the Lord and according to his word we will understand it better by and by by and by when the morning comes when the saints of God are gathered home Tell the story how we've overcome. We will understand it better by and by. Temptations, hidden snares often take us unawares. And our hearts are made to bleed for some thoughtless word or deed. 
And we wonder why the test When we try to do our best Well, we'll understand it better by and by By and by When the morning comes When the saints of God are gathered home We will tell the story How we've overcome We will understand it better by and by Yes, we'll understand it better by and by. All right. Whew. Oh, goodness. We uh, ate with your pastor and his family after church today over at uh, Cracker Barrel. And I'm telling you, I am still full. We uh, waited so long, and I, I ate everything. I was taught when growing up, you know, that you clean your plate. And uh, I did. My mom said, you know, there's starving children all over the world. You can take out whatever you want, but you eat whatever you take. And I've never gotten over it. That's one of the reasons I look like this. And, uh, but uh, we had a wonderful time, great fellowship, enjoyed visiting with Todd and Cindy and some of the family and learning some of the things going on. And basically, all are very friendly folks. I mean, you know, most, some churches are really not very friendly. And, uh, but y'all are very friendly and very encouraging. And, and so I appreciate that. I feel very at ease here. I'm standing down here because it's a little cooler. And I know I could take my coat off, but uh, I brought all these clothes. I'm going to wear them, by golly. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that y'all were very informal, you know, I, I could have brought something. I should have asked. I normally ask the pastor, but I didn't this time. Uh, anyway, so I was sharing this morning a little bit about myself. The, uh, we're not really from Texas. Some of you assume when I told you that I was pastor in Texas that I, I'm from Texas. No, we're originally from North Carolina, a uh, little place down the foot of the hills. If you go to Twithville, Virginia and hang a right, and you go down the first little Agwell past Pansy Gap, so once you cross into North Carolina, there's a place called Mount Airy, which is, as most of you know, is the hometown of Andy Griffith, and everybody calls it Mayberry now. Everything up there is Mayberry. I wish they'd just go ahead and change the name. And then we live down in what is normally known as Pilot Mountain, which is just 10 miles down the road between Mount Airy and Winston-Salem, which everybody wants to call Mount Pilot because of the Andy Griffith show. But uh, we did grow up in that area, and uh, I grew up in a community called Westfield. Gilda grew up in Pilot Mountain, and I can remember visiting with Andy's parents on the streets of Mount Airy when I was just a kid, and uh, uh, they were very open and friendly, and a lot of his relatives attended the church where we go to. And there's some of the people that he's actually mentioned on his show. It's really interesting. But uh, that's where we're from, so you know, I want to keep, keep, keep trying to put me in Texas, and I, uh, you know, I, I like Texas, and we had a good time out there, and your pastor attended seminary in Texas as well, and uh, I think met, she met his wife out there, is that correct? He did really good, yeah, and, and she turned out pretty, too. I mean, uh, a lot of, uh, I met one young man who was in the, I'm not making fun of the Southwestern women, but I did meet one of the students there, and I said, uh, do you have a girlfriend? He said, no, I've waited till I get to seminary to find me a wife. He said, I want me a good Christian woman. And there's a lot of them down here. 
And so I saw him about a month later, and I said, how are you doing? Have you found your woman yet? And he said, no. And he said, I've discovered something, too. I said, what is it? He says, there's a close correlation between the call of God and ugliness, he said. <laughs> now, I don't think that's true, because I saw a lot of it. And evidently, that's what he thought. He wasn't having very much luck finding him a woman down there. But I am glad you discovered your wife, and Southwestern was a great experience. Gilda and I both graduated from there and had our child while we were out there. Had one just before we graduated from, I met a guy from, been in Birmingham. Our daughter was born in Birmingham, Alabama, just as we finished a college. And then our son was born in Texas, and we started this ministry 37 years ago. He was four months old, and our daughter was four years old. And... Uh, what an adventure it was to travel with them for the next 10 years. Sometimes we'd be on the road as much as 40 weeks out of the year and had to educate them and teach them and created a very close bond. We love our children. Now we've got the five grandchildren, and I never thought I'd be as crazy, you know, over my grandchildren as all the other crazy grandparents. I thought they were weird people, but now that it's happened to me, uh, I'm just as weird as the rest of them, I guess. All right, I, you know, I shared with you this morning about, you know, the simple thing, how we are supposed to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and quit trying to figure it out. Just acknowledge him, and he would direct our path. Now, I noticed one thing. You're not a real responding church, I don't guess, because I didn't see anybody come forward. You know, some churches are very open. You know, just you give an invitation, and they, they want to express themselves. And some churches are very reserved. I don't know, you know, why you're reserved. Maybe you've not always been that way. But uh, I'm not going to force you to come. I know how. I mean, I could make you get up here. You say, oh, you can't make me? Yeah, you can do something as crazy as like, all right, if anybody here, if you love your mama, I want you to come forward. <laughs> I mean, who's going to sit there, you see? Well, I don't want them to think I don't love my mama. I said, but I don't do, I'm not going to manipulate you or, or try to force you to come. But I do want you to participate in the revival, sir. I know it'd be an encouragement sometimes for your pastor to, for you to get up off your blessed assurance and make some kind of testimony sometimes. But we'll be given an invitation at the end of every service. And all we're asking you to do, if God is speaking to you and you, you're making a decision in your heart, that's where all decisions are made. I've got sense enough to know that anyone who comes forward has already made a decision and they wouldn't be coming. But the Bible says, and it says here, let your light so shine. You don't hide your light under a bushel, the Bible says. You put it out here where the world can see it and do what? Glorify the Father. And so when we ask you to come, all we're asking you to do is give God a little glory and let your light shine, and that wouldn't kill you, you know. And so all I'm asking you to do, I'm not going to pressure you to do it, but when I share these things and you listen to what you believe the Scripture is teaching you and God's Spirit touches your heart, if there's a decision you need to make, then you need to do it. You might be the very inspiration that would encourage someone else to make a commitment. I can remember I was in a revival up in the mountains of Little Switzerland, North Carolina. And there's a little mountain thing, and this parents came to me one night and said, they are, we're real concerned about our teenage boys. They're as lost as they can be. They've always been in church, and we want them to be. Would you pray for them? I said, well, of course I'll pray for them. And, uh, but I want to ask you something. How long has it been since those boys have ever seen you at an altar? Have they ever seen you come and make any kind of commitment or decision before Christ? 
And they both looked at one another. And I can remember that night, I guess God used that as a conviction, those two, that mom and dad at the altar weeping, crying, praying for those two young boys, expressing themselves. And the very next night, both of those young men gave their heart and life to Jesus. Sometimes we have to set the example and show them that we're not just talking about you. So anyway, that's just food for thought, because all I can do is share with you this week, and what you do with it's entirely up to you, and I wouldn't want you to come for any reason other than God's Spirit leading you to do it. All right, I decided just a little while ago, I never know for sure, Gilda would have asked me when I left the motel what I was going to preach, and I, I don't know, so I have to, sometimes I just have to look at you, and uh, but this, I'm going to do a very basic revi uh, revival. Um, Second Chronicles, isn't it? Seven fourteen. What is it? Isn't that right? All right. I had to tell him I really prepared. Don't even know where it's at. I do know the quote. Yeah. Okay. By the way, the preacher called me out on an error I made this morning. I just want you to know he was listening. I quoted First Corinthians ten. 31, I think, and it should have been Corinthians 10, 13, or vice versa. Anyway, I inverted the numbers. And at least I knew the verse. I quoted the verse. I don't always get it right, so I'm just time I'm making sure. But uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we'll pick up a verse 12. And since you've been seated a while, let's stand in honor of God's word, just to those of you who are able to stand, and... Uh, We'll read these three verses, and we'll just talk about them a few minutes. I know we got activities afterwards and uh, all that. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14 says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Thank you. You may be seated. Just as a little way of background, you know, it was during the reign of King David that God ordained that a temple would be built for his honor and glory. But David was a very warlike king, and so actually he made some preparation, but the actual construction of the temple took place when his son Solomon was in power. And Solomon now, had, after many years, had completed this wonderful thing that they were going to dedicate to the glory of God, this beautiful place of worship. And they were preparing to dedicate this thing. And Solomon, the chapter before, I didn't have time to read all of that, but the, the chapter before is a prayer by Solomon, uh, praying that God would bless the people of Israel, that he would give them wisdom and insight, and that he would not send problems and difficulties and struggles. And I just, just a beautiful prayer of seeking the mercy and grace and love of God as they prepared for this. Well, they have the dedication service. It goes on for many days, and it's a big celebration. And I mean, God puts his seal of approval on this thing. I mean, the glory of God comes down and surrounds the temple, and it's just a wonderful time of fellowship. And So finally, Solomon is over, and he's back in his palace, and then we have this scripture that says, so he came to Solomon at night, appeared to him. I mean, doesn't say how. I don't know anything about that. And he gave him these words. I've heard your prayer. I know what you're praying about, and I want to tell you something. If your people expect all this stuff 
that you or have asked me to do in your prayer, I want to tell you something. There's some conditions going to have to be met. And then he lists literally in verse 14 his conditions for renewal or revival or a right relationship. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. So there are God's conditions. Now the question is, I'm going to ask you, are you ready to meet God's requirements? I could ask you, do you really want revival, renewal here this week at Kingsway Baptist Church? Most of you would say yes. Yeah, we'd like that. Well, in order to do that, you're going to have to do what God says to do. It's just as simple as that. Because it says, if my people, which are called by my name, who do you think we are? You'd say, well, this message was written for the nation of Israel thousands of years ago. It doesn't have anything to do with us. Now, the problem is, God, the Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he really doesn't change. And uh, I believe that's a cell phone. If it's the Lord, I'd like to answer that, please. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> He's, he, he really needs to know what the condition and what the situation of the, of the people's going to be. And we are the people of God. It, it's changed. You know, it says in the Bible that if you've been born of Jesus Christ, you're seed of Abraham. Now, can you get any more Jewish than that? Can you get any possibly more nation of Israel, God's chosen people, than the seed of Abraham? No. So we are the new Israel, folks. This message is still for us. If my people, the Christian people at Kingsway Baptist Church will do some things, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, will heal their land. So let's just look for a few minutes at these requirements. First of all, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Oh, Lordy, I wish that one wasn't in there. <laughs> First one's going to eliminate most of us from renewal, from revival. Why? Because most of us are not humble. We really think we're all right. I mean, can you imagine how wonderful this world would be if everybody was just like you? Wouldn't this be a great place? That's the way we really feel, because you know how I know that? We judge everybody. We judge everybody by our standards. What we think, how we believe, how we, we judge how they dress, how they smell, what they look like, where they go. We, we're very judgmental, critical people. Why? Because we think we're right and everybody else is wrong. And don't tell me you don't feel that way. You say stuff every day. I feel so sorry for old Miss So-and-so. You don't feel sorry for them. You just know they're sorry and you're glad it's not you. You know, it's, we always compare ourselves to people that are worse than we are. I mean, that's natural, isn't it? Why, if you're going to compare yourself, you don't like to compare yourself to somebody who's smarter or more intelligent or better looking or all that. You know, you try to find somebody that you can kind of look down on, and we are always doing that as, as Christian people. I remember when I was in school, I wasn't the best student. I was intelligent, but I didn't like to study. And I can remember if I took a test... I would, uh, at the end of the test, I would always uh, try to find somebody I thought that did worse than me and ask them what they made on the test because I didn't want to be the dumbest one in the class. Now, I certainly wasn't going to go ask the valedictorian or the smart one because I knew what they made. 
But there had to be somebody that was dumber than me, and so I would seek them out. I can remember one time my mother, uh, she went over one night, I'm a terrible speller. I still can't spell. I mean, spelling makes no sense to me because it's, uh, I like to spell phonetically. I like to spell the way things sound, and, and our spelling just doesn't work that way, and so you just have to learn it, and I've never been able to do that. And thank goodness for spell check and stuff now that they have. But uh, back when I was growing up, they didn't have that. And my mother went over all these spelling words, and I thought I had it down pretty good. And the next day, I think I made maybe 45, 50 or something on the test. I missed about half of them. And I remember going home, and when I got home that evening, my mom said, uh, Dale, how'd you do on your spelling test? I was afraid you'd ask that. And she said, I said, well, I'm sorry, but I made 50. He said, son, that beats anything I have ever seen. I've worked with you. What is the matter with you? I said, but I beat Lena Fay and Walter. (laughs) (laughs) And they were two of those dumbest people in class. You know, they had learning disabilities and things. And Mama says, you're not helping your case comparing yourself to them. And, you know, part of our problem is that we measure with the wrong thing. You know, the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be not judged. For whatever judgment you measure out, it's going to be turned on you. You know, Christ is our example. We're to follow him. And when you start trying to follow the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ, you become a whole different person. I mean, he says, we're to love our enemies. Do good to people that persecute you. Pray for those. My Lord, is he kidding and we can't do, I can't do that. No, you can't. And he told us that without him, we can't do anything. So what do we do? We live the best we can, and then we compare ourselves to those who do, we think do worse. We're very proud people. We're not very humble people. And that's the hard thing. If I could get you to be humble, we could have revival here this week. I mean, man, that would be no problem at all. And I don't know how. <laughs> how do you get people to be humble? I found out years ago, I was in the church, we first started, and I was real excited about being an evangelist. And there was a little lady on the front row, and she was, I don't know, she was just into the sermon. She'd say, amen, praise God. I was just excited to have somebody to kind of an amen corner, a nice little Christian lady that would really support me. I think maybe I was preaching this text, I don't know, but (laughs) I came out, and she shook my hand, like we do sometimes after service, and She said, Dale, you're right. What we need in this church more than anything is humility. You hit the nail on the head. And she was going on and said, I want to tell you something. I'm humble and proud of it, she said. (laughs) And I thought, my Lord, this work's going to be hard. Here's a little lady that's so humble she's proud of. Now, maybe you, thank God you mentioned humility. (laughs) Ooh-wee. I'm probably the most humble person in this church. (laughs) God help you. If you're sitting back there feeling good about your humility, you need to be one of the first ones to the altar tonight in repentance. I don't know. I I keep thinking they they have appeals for everything now. You know, I look really healthy, but I'm awfully sick, really. They tell me, you know, I'm sick. I I feel great. and I don't worry about being sick, but I have everything. You know, like I told you this morning, I had open-heart surgery last year, and I've got all kind of stopped-up valves, and I've got diabetes, and you wouldn't believe all the stuff that's wrong with me. And I take the office pile of pills you've ever seen. Every morning I get up and I take a handful of pills. 
And it's fair, but I don't know how they know where to go and fix all the different stuff, but they, they offer different things. And, uh, and then at night, I have to take some more for the night at night. And I keep thinking, why, can't, in, the, why in the world can't they come up with a humble pill? I mean, they can give you a pill that makes you smile. You know, makes you feel, you can give a person depressed a pill and he'll walk around grinning. Hey, man, I feel better now. And why can't they come up with a humble pill? I don't know. I think it'd be wonderful. And every Christian ought to be prescribed one to take daily. Get up and take your humble pill and go out into the world and live for the glory of God. I don't have anything like that. The only thing I have that might encourage you is the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to see an example of humility, he's it. God himself who came to earth in the person of man and lived among us. Why would he do that? I don't have a clue. The Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are tempted yet without sin. Walked this earth. And isn't it interesting? The first thing that happened, he tried to gather him some men around him to, to, to carry on the work after he was gone. Some, they call them disciples or apostles. And the first thing these guys did, they got proud. Isn't that interesting? So they did, they did it? Well, of course they did. They got, they got real excited. They weren't much now. I mean, they were just, you know, fishermen, tax collectors. All, they weren't anybody that you would pick much, you know, to, to be leadership and to, to train as be disciples. But here they were, and the first thing they did, they got proud. It reminds you kind of, a, most churches are like a bunch of Baptist deacons. Uh, deacons are usually pretty good until you ordain them. And then once you ordain them, they're not in the count anymore because they think they're special. Well, the church has recognized me, and they've set me apart, and so now they want me to make decisions for them, and I must really be significant. And that has nothing to do with being a deacon at all. We even call them sometimes in our church. I don't know about this church. I, I can say all this stuff, what, because I'm an evangelist and I'm leaving in just a few days. I, you know, I really don't care how you respond to it because I don't have to worry about that. But, uh, you know, if deacons are set apart to be servants. It's a servant role. And Jesus made the statement, even I, the Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And he says, you want to be ruler in my kingdom? What do you have to do? You have to be servant of all. You want to be somebody powerful in my kingdom? You know, that, that's what you have to do. You have to give you. you have to, the last shall be first. The first shall be last. What do we call our deacons in 90% of the Baptist churches? Boards. The board of deacons will be meeting this evening as though there's some kind of board of directors that get together and oversee the affairs of the church. No, deacons are set apart to minister, to serve, to be a servant for God. And if you're not doing that, you're not a deacon, I don't hear what they call you. But, you know, you're no different from the disciples. They had the same thing. Two of them, even mother went to Jesus, said, I want you to put one of my boys on the right hand and one on the left. Now, they, they were cousins and stuff, and so, you know, I guess she felt like she had a right to ask, but that's why Jesus told them, you just don't get it. And I love that story in Scripture when it says that night when Jesus tied a towel around his waist 
and he got down and began to wash the disciples' feet. You know, that was a job that was reserved for the lowest slave in a household. Nobody washed feet that had any power or authority, but Jesus did. One of the things that we've done when we've gone to other countries sometimes is do the act of foot washing to show that we're not superior, that we're here to serve, even those who have far less than we do. You know, we've got a lot to learn, and he tried to show them. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, really think about it. We say or we, that we believe that Jesus was God incarnate, right? God in the flesh. And here we literally have a picture of God kneeling, washing his creation's feet. <laughs> I mean, folks, that's just humility beyond what I've even close to having. And I think if you're honest, it's the same for you. And you might sometimes, you want to have, separate your sheep from the goats here, you know, so, so to speak. You, you, now you're going to have a foot wash. And the ones that really haughty-taughty won't show up, I can promise you that. Now, I'm not saying really do that. I just, that's just, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, what does the Lord have to do? I mean, he tried everything. Then he says, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. I mean, he allowed people. And I know sometimes you think you've been persecuted and had some problems and difficulties and struggles in your life, but you've never been through anything what our Lord went through because he had the power, supposedly, he said he did. Don't you understand that if I, I wanted to, I could speak and legions of angels would come and set me free. Nobody's taking my life, I'm giving it. I can't imagine that. He had the power to do whatever he wanted to do, believe that, and yet he allowed people to curse him, to spit on him, to mock him, to nail him to a cross. Now, could you do that? No, I don't think so. I know I couldn't. I saw people, uh, you know, used to, I don't know whether y'all ever did this, not they had these little bracelets of what would Jesus do, you know, bracelets that they wore around. And it's a good thought, you know, before you acted, you thought, what would Jesus do? And they tried to give me one, and they said, I said, no, I don't want to wear that. And they said, well, why? I said, because I know I won't do it. I mean, I'd like to think I would do it, and you can remind me of it, but I won't do it. Because, you see, I know me personally, and you curse me and spit on me and try to nail me to a cross, I'd zap your hide if I had the power. <laughs> I would. See, I can look at you and say, oh, he's so mean. <laughs> I'd give my life. I'd give my life for anybody and everyone. I love the Lord. You can't even get along with your own family sometimes. Talking about sacrificing your life. I mean, folks, we just wouldn't do it. But the Lord did it. And what's ironic, and believe it or not, I'll tell you this, and this is a hard saying. Most of us here tonight think we're better than Jesus Christ himself. And you say, I don't, we're not, I don't say that. I, no, you don't say it, but you, but you don't realize that you act out on it. Because you let some difficulties and some struggles and some problems come your way. What's the first thing you always say? What most everybody say? Why me, Lord? <laughs> Why me, Lord? I mean, I go to church. I try to live a good life. I pray. I try to do what's right. I don't understand. There are other people out there getting it a lot better than me. Why is this happening to me? And I want to say sometimes to those people and to myself, why not you? 
Why not you? Are you so perfect? Are you so righteous that you don't think you should have any problems? Is that how you feel about it? Well, I want to remind you something. Our Lord was perfect. He was sinless. He never did anything but good. And they nailed him to a cross. And you expect to get through life easier than our Lord himself. And we need a reality check sometimes. Our Lord loves us. He's been there before us. And he'll walk with us. But you're certainly no better than he is. The servant is not greater than the master. So, humility, that's a tough one, isn't it? I'll just mention the, the rest of them because my time's about gone. I get carried away. And uh, that's the most important one anyway because you won't do anything else if you're not humble. <laughs> I mean, that's the first and foremost problem is to humble. It says over James, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So humility, that's the first requirement. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Secondly, pray. Now, the catch to this is, of course, you don't know how to pray until you're humble. <laughs> Proud people can't pray. You think if you're full of yourself, you don't know how to pray. You can't even pray without it getting beyond your ears. I mean, Jesus gave us that example of the two men who went into the temple to pray. One was the religious leader, the Pharisee. He had all their credentials and tassels and identities. He went to the synagogue every time the doors was open. He didn't only tithe his money, he tithed his garden stuff. I mean, these people live by the law and rule by the law, and they were so proud of it. The other old boy was a tax collector for the Roman government, a publican, despised, rejected. Those two went into the temple to pray. The first one, the religious one, the committed one goes down the front and he lifts his hand and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> Boy, what does that tell you? And don't look funny. And you ever thank God you're not like somebody else? I guarantee you have. I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I don't live like that. We all tend to be that way. I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he told God how he tithed and how he gave and how lucky God was to have him. And then he has the audacity to point out to the old boy in the back, like I told you what we do all the time. He I especially think I'm not like him. And it said the old boy in the back, he bowed his head. Now, you know what bowing your head is a symbol of, right? Humility. <laughs> That's why you bow your head in royalty and presence. It's a symbol, at least, of humility. It said he bowed his head. He beat his breast, or smote his breast, it says in the King James, which is a symbol of brokenheartedness. He realized his sinful condition, and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said only one man went away that day blessed, and we know which one it was. And so you see the old boy with all of his religious and all of his assurances and all of his works didn't even know how to pray to God. He was... He was giving himself all the praise he needed. God acknowledges the humble and the repentant. So first thing you have to learn to praise, you get humble and then you pray. That's, it's a chronological order. That's why it's called Chronicles. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray. Seek my face. That means you, you want so much to get into the presence of God. You want to know what he wants for your life. You want his attention. And how long has it been since you've really been on your knees in agony and searching for the will of God and direction for your life? 
thought it was the cutest thing the other day. A, a young man and his little daughter came by. And he was trying to talk to Gilda and myself, and every once in a while she'd grab his face and just turn it. She was about three years old. Daddy, you know, and what was she doing? She was seeking his face. She couldn't talk to him, him over there talking to us and listening to something else. <laughs> and she did a good job. And I thought, maybe, you know, sometimes that's what we need to get with God. God, here, listen to me now. I want to get before you. I want to know something. I want what you want. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and then turn from their wicked ways. You know, when you get in the presence of God in a humble spirit, and you genuinely pray in that humble spirit, it's not going to be long before you realize, uh-oh, like old Isaiah when he saw God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And I don't know what your sin is. I have no idea. I'm not up here to name sin. That's not my job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and you have to work that out with God. But I do know that God will help reveal these things to you that you need to change in your life. And your sin may be something you're doing that you ought to not be doing. That's called the sins of commission, the things that we know we're doing that's not really all that great. Just like today, I knew when I was eating that I should have packed up halfway and got me a to-go box. See, I'm acknowledging that. I really could have gotten by on half of what I ate today. But I was hungry, and I wanted it, so I ate it anyway. That's what you call just lack of control and discipline. And another thing, I didn't really ask God what he wanted me to do because I knew what he'd tell me. That's why you got to seek him, you know. Sometimes, you know, with us, it's just like, God, don't call me, I'll call you, you know. But you've got to seek him. So it may be a sin that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, or it may be the sins of omission. You know, it says over in James, to know to do good and to do it not, to you it is sin. A lot of people, especially in Baptist, love to brag on what they don't do. Well, if you don't do stuff, that's sin too. I mean, God really means it when he says, forgive others as I've forgiven you. And when you hold a grudge or an unforgiving spirit toward others. I mean, we've got to, some of the things we just fail to do, what we should do. And when we do that, that's sin too. You know, the Bible is active, isn't it? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And the lady, another little lady told me one day, said, Dale, I can honestly tell you I've never harmed a soul. That was her claim to fame in her life, that she'd never done anything for anybody or to anybody. And I said, well, ma'am, I think that's great that you've never done anything for anybody or to anybody, but let me ask you something. Can you tell me some things you have done for people? Because the Bible seems to be based on what we do. I was hungry and you gave me meat. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Tell me some things you've done for people instead of things you've abstained from doing. Oh, she got huffy. She didn't like that. And most of us don't like that. But we're to be about the Father's business. And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. And when you fail to do it to these, you fail me. And so it's doing. So whether it's something we're doing that we shouldn't be doing or failing to do what we ought to be doing, it's still called sin. And we need to turn from that sin. And he says, and if my, will hear my name and will turn from their wicked ways, then, notice it's conditional, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. God's given us a promise. 
We have to humble ourselves, pray in a humble spirit, and then seek his face, find out, ask him what he needs to change or what you need to do. And then when it's delivered and you understand those things, repent, turn away from it. That's what repentance means. And then he's promised he will forgive and will heal. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for my own life. Those are God's requirements. Now, the question is, what are you going to do about it? That's entirely up to you and between you and the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the scriptures that is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And thank you for your spirit that gives us the power to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for the sacrifice you've made. I still don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. And I'm so far away from that kind of love that I, I would love to experience in my own life. But thank you that you're patient with me and I can keep on growing. And my prayer for this congregation is that they will seek your face this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of commitment. <clears throat> As I said at the beginning, we're now going to have an invitation. Now, what's an invitation? If I asked you to stand up and tell me what that means, would you even know what it means? It means you're invited. That makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> what, if you get an invitation for a wedding, what does that mean? You're invited to participate. You're invited to come. You're invited to be a part of it. You get an invitation to a birthday party. What does that mean? I'm, you're invited. When you get an invitation in the Baptist church, what does that mean? You're invited. We're going to give you an opportunity now to give some glory to the Lord. And you're invited to share that openly. Now you can keep it quiet and hide your light under the bushel if you want to and do it in your heart and do it secret. That's fine. But I know our Lord says that we need to give him the light. Let our light shine. I don't know how you do it. You know, I have, to figure, I have to figure this out. If you won't testify for the Lord here among church and family and friends, where would you testify for? If you won't do it here, where would you do it? At least this is a good starting place. So this is our invitation. Understand, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never asked Jesus to come in your heart and life and forgive you of sin, there's no greater joy in all the world than trusting in the Lord. And you come and take Brother Todd to the hands. I want to trust Jesus tonight. Man, we'll celebrate with you. I was nine years old when I did that, and it took. I mean, I'm still here at 69. Been a Christian for 60 years, and Oh, I've had my ups and downs, and I've drifted to and fro. But boy, the Lord's always been faithful. And I never regretted that commitment. So there may be some here who need to do that. You need to trust the Lord. There, most of us here are Christians, and I would invite you in a spirit of renewal. This is renewal time, revival time. And if God is speaking to you and you're making a commitment, then just share it just by coming. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to say a word. You don't even have to pray with your pastor unless you feel led to share it with him. But by coming, you're saying yes. I want my church family to pray for me. I'm making a decision, and I want to give God the glory here tonight. Maybe you need to join this church. You're searching for a place, and we invite you to do that. There may be goodness. This is your time. I'm not, I can't tell you what decisions you need to make. That's between you and the Lord. But if he's speaking to you, do what he says do. Now, we're not going to drag this out. We're just going to sing a verse or two of this, whatever they pick for invitation, and we're going to close. Go and have some food and vote on the cornholes. But right now, we need to make decision for whatever God would have us do.
Let's stand together. Let us sing together. Little